Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Yes, friends, alleluia indeed. This anthem is good news. This is, this is life-altering news. This is news that shakes the foundations of the earth. It is news that transforms the human heart. This is news, friends, that changes eternities. This is the good news. That when we look into the grave, we do not see death, but we see life. We see futures that have been secured. When we look at the place where Christ used to be, we see and we experience victory. We see bodies without disease, minds without depression, and spirits without shame. When we look at the place where Christ used to be, We see victory and we experience a victory over sin, over death, and over the devil himself. This is good news. It is the good news. And it was news first spoken some 2,000 years ago. Words that were given to women who had come to see their crucified rabbi and they found a risen king. Words confirming that God's plan for humanity had been completed. This is good news. It is the good news. This news should stir in us an unbridled joy. A joy that is unharnessed and has the freedom to roam around. A joy that cannot be contained. This news, it fills us with with a passionate joy for the world. The world can never be the same. It fills us with a joy so deep and so long and so high that it compels us to go and to proclaim and to share and to give away this joy which you and I get to experience. God's people, we have an anthem, an anthem, a joyous anthem to shout from the rooftops that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Now friends, before we go any further This morning, we need to take a minute and say thank you to the countless people who have helped to make this week meaningful. And so we want to say thank you to the, to the leaders and to members of our fine arts team, to our altar guild who prepares everything that you see in front of us. We want to say thank you to those of you who made coffee at some ungodly hour of the morning this morning. We want to thank you that if you brought lights for us to use, those of you who serve in the tech booth, there's like a million and nine things happening, so thank you for that as well. And to the incredible, the incredible staff here at Holy Cross and to partners in ministry for past Pastor Adam and for Jay this morning. Friends, your service of hands and hearts, those of you who help up front and behind the scenes, you honor Christ and bless the saints of Holy Cross with that service. So, church, can we just say thank you through our applause this morning? Well, friends, we, we have been on quite a journey since last Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem with the shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest heaven. And a journey that moved us to the sorrow-filled prayer of Jesus in a garden. Not my will, but yours be done. 
A journey that took us to the suffering endured when nails pierced wrists and feet. A journey that took us to the despair of the Father's absence. A journey that took us to the agony of laying the slain body of Jesus in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And a journey that takes us to the deafening silence of having to rest on the Sabbath. It has been quite a week. And friends, it is all of those events just described and all of the emotions that come with those events that accompany the women as they come to the tomb early on that Sunday morning. You see, the women, the women come with heavy hearts. They're covered in the shadow of grief. They come to the tomb with the, with the past week running on repeat in their minds. They come to the tomb to look at the stark, cold reality of death. But this morning, God wants them to see not, not darkness, but light. Not the past, but the present and the future. Not death, but life. You see, God gives a unique peek to these women into the fulfilled promise of God. God will, as the psalmist writes, turn mourning into joyful dancing. You know, Matthew 28 begins that reading, which we heard Pastor Adam read just moments ago. It begins with the Marys. Marys returning to the place that we last encountered them. If we back up for just a second into Matthew chapter 27, verse 61, we would see a striking similarity between Easter morning and Good Friday evening. Uh, Matthew writes this. He says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. In other words, these are women, women who, who have, by the way, walked with Jesus as long as most of the disciples, and here they are. In fact, just a few sentences before it, Matthew writes this, there were many women there watching from a distance. Women who were a part of the crowd, who were living under the shadow of the cross, and who were witness to the suffering and the death of Jesus. Matthew tells us that these women had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Now, Galilee, friends, just so we're clear, Galilee is where Jesus began his ministry. And so these women, these women have been connected to the mission and the ministry for as long as most of the disciples. And while they don't carry the title disciple, they have no doubt been discipled by Jesus' words and his living along the way. And friends, it strikes me, interestingly, that those, that those with the title disciple are nowhere to be found. Those with the title disciple have fled one after another. It is those without the title disciple it is these women who have been with Jesus from the very beginning who are willing to stand under the suffering and the grief and the death and the burial of Jesus. And so it is that these women head back to the tomb with a purpose. And Matthew, Matthew tells us that purpose. He says it's this, they go to look at the tomb. 
In other words, they've come to stare reality in the face. I, I don't know if you can remember this, but, but I certainly can. I remember the first time I went to a funeral when the casket was open. Uh, the first time that I had to look at death in a face. When for the first time I had to see the finality that comes to every human being. For the first time seeing the effects of sin. And friends, I, I remember... I remember not wanting to look. Because, because if I'm honest, it's a little creepy and a bit unnatural. When we look at death in the face, when we see that human finality, it doesn't feel right on our insides. When you see death, you see what is true for all of humanity. And friends, this is what the women were going to see that their hopes and their dreams had been dashed, it had been wrapped up in a death shroud, and it was laying still on a stone. That's what they've come to look at. What happens next, what happens next is almost like a, it's almost like a little bit of an aside. It's like a, it's like a glimpse into the bigger picture of what was actually happening on that Easter morning. So here's what Matthew writes. He says, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. You see, already, already, I think Matthew is helping you and me see what's really happening. That on this Easter morning, there is, a, there is an undoing, a walking back of the very things that happened on the night of Good Friday. You see, the moment that Jesus died, several things happened all at once. And one of them, one of them was an earthquake. If we were to read back into Matthew 27, at the moment that Jesus breathes his last, Matthew tells us there's an earthquake. And yet on this Easter morning, Matthew tells us there was a, a violent earthquake, quite literally the largest of large earthquakes. As if Matthew is trying to help us say, hey, listen, if you thought the death of Jesus shook the earth, if you thought that was something, on Easter morning, let me tell you this, friends, this is what the Californians would call the big one, right? Like this, this is a massive earthquake. That what's happening on Sunday morning is an undoing of what happened on Friday night. This angel coming to earth and creating a violent earthquake. Total sidebar, by the way. But for the most part, when we look through the Gospels, uh, angels are given very little to do. They, they're given lots to say, uh, but, but they don't really have tasks to do. So, so you can imagine the moment when God comes into like this room of heavenly messengers, like, hey, I need someone to go to earth and do a favor for me. You can imagine, right, those messengers are like, I wonder what he wants us to say this time. And so sheepishly, someone's like, okay, I'll do it, Lord. What, what do you want me to say? And the father says, no, no. I want you to do something. I want you to go to earth. And I want you to roll back the stone that has kept Jesus in the grave for the last three days. And then when you're done... I want you to sit on it. 
and then smile. Because you know the end of the story. And then, and then when the women come, then you'll have something to say. But I want you to do this first. Imagine this heavenly messenger's joy at the task now in front of them. Imagine, imagine what it means to do this moment. And so this heavenly messenger comes to earth with a thud and he rolls back the stone, giving light, giving light an opportunity to flood the darkness. And then he does indeed sit on top of that stone with a silly grin, knowing the end of the story before anyone else. And friends, if that's not enough, Matthew tells us that his presence caused the guards, those who have been put there as a seal of real death, they're scared so much that Matthew tells us that they shook and became like dead people. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that they're actually dead, right? But, but nevertheless, like they're freaked out, right? Enough that they're having some kind of seizure and then passing out on the ground. That is for sure. But the irony Friends, the irony is striking. Those without faith in Jesus will become dead. And those with faith in Jesus will see and experience resurrection. You see, Matthew wants us to see in a a few simple sentences what God is doing. He He is passionately undoing Good Friday. A little earthquake replaced by a violent one. A closed tomb broken open. Darkness replaced by light. And resurrection where death used to be. All of the sad things are becoming untrue. And so imagine, if you will, for a moment, the women who must be, by the way, gobsmacked, right? Because it tells us that the angel addresses them by saying, hey, you, you. Do not be afraid. I get that there are dead people on the ground or people who look dead, but, but do not be afraid. I know why you're here. I know who it is you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus, who was and continues to be crucified. He is not here. He has been raised, just as he said. And so come and see the place that he used to be. You came here to look at reality. Well, friends, look at that. This is the new reality. Jesus has kept his promise. Now, if we hit rewind, moments after Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God's anointed one, that he is gonna be the enthroned king of Israel, Matthew tells us from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, but on the third day, be raised to life. Or shortly after he was transfigured on a mountain in that place where he had a little powwow with Moses and Elijah, he says the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, but on the third day... He will be raised to life. Or moments before they enter, him and his disciples enter into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna. Jesus says this, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. 
and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised to life. See, Jesus, Jesus has kept his promise. Right? Suffering, check. Flogged, check. Crucified, check. Risen from the dead, check. Jesus is a promise keeper. He has kept his passion promise. And friends, this is good news, news that should elicit in us a passionate joy. That Jesus is a promise keeper so that, so that when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And all those who live and believe in me shall never die. If Jesus is a promise keeper, then we revel in the truth of our own resurrection. We revel in the truth that death no longer has a sting and the grave no longer has victory. We revel in the truth that when we die, yet shall we live. Though our bodies are broken, they will be healed. And though our minds are flooded with anxiety, we will have peace. And though our spirits are shackled by shame and guilt, we will receive honor and forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus keeps his promises. Friends, the work of God sending Jesus to live out this kingdom on earth, to live in obedience to the Father, to take on suffering and the cross and the reality of death and this resurrection to life. This work has been God's plan since the very beginning, since the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. Moments after Eve and Adam choose their own way instead of the Father's way, the Father speaks these words of promise both as a condemnation for the devil, who has a serpent, but also a promise to Eve and Adam. Here's what he says. The father says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He shall crush your head, though you will bruise his heel. In other words, even though there will be open hostility between humanity and the devil, and though it will look like the devil has won, in the end... He will be crushed. This is the promise of Genesis chapter 3. And in a way that only God the Father could orchestrate, the crushing of the devil comes through the crushing of his son. As Isaiah prophesies, he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. See, the resurrection is victory, friends. It is Christ's victory for us. And it is good news. It is the good news. It's joyous news. In fact, in fact, listen to what the writer of the book of Hebrews uses to describe the events of cross and resurrection and ascension. He writes this, For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and he is seated at the right hand of God. For joy, he says. For joy. For joy. This, this week of passion, this week, week of suffering was, was, was held together by a barely controllable emotion. And that emotion was joy. An impassioned joy. And so can you imagine for just a moment... That moment when the women realize the gravity of this truth. Can you imagine the flood of emotion that must have hit their heart? Can you imagine the amount of passion welling up within them 
And with all of those emotions running high, the messenger instructs the women to go and to proclaim this resurrection to the disciples. These women, the first preachers of the resurrection. This, this may be gospel truth, but never underestimate a mother and her girlfriends. Really, that, that's what's happening here. Here they are now, the first preachers of that resurrection going to tell the disciples what has happened and to tell them that Jesus is going to keep another promise, that he will meet with them in Galilee. And if he's kept this promise, no doubt he'll keep the other one as well. So Matthew tells us that the women, they ran quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran right with an urgency to tell everyone this resurrection truth. There was fear, not like scared out of your mind, shake and then fall over dead kind of fear, not that, but, but the fear that is the weight and the gravity of recognizing this new reality. And they run with great joy for sin and death and the devil have no power that in Christ we are victorious. And as they're on their way, Jesus steps in He makes himself known as if to assure the women that he is with them. His resurrection power is with them, not just for someday, but for every day. See, friends, like the women, we go from this place today, having once again encountered the truth of the resurrection The truth that you and I have life eternal, that death is not the end, and that Jesus is with us not just for Sunday, but he is with us every day. Friends, we have resurrection power now. We get to taste eternity now. In just moments from now, we'll come to God's table and receive bread and wine, the very body and blood of Jesus, a foretaste of the feast that is to come. See, he is with us, and he is for us. And if he is for us, the scripture says, who can be against us? Friends, this is a day of joy, of great joy. Today is a day to rejoice in the work of God through Christ, the work of Christ on a cross and in an empty tomb. It is a day to revel in the truth that God is a promise keeper. Today, to marvel at his plan that has been his plan since the beginning. It is a day, friends, to walk in faith, knowing that he is with us. Friends, today is a day of joy, of great joy, of passionate joy, of unbridled joy. And this joy fills not only our lives, but our words and our anthem as well. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.